and welcome back to the Doctor Who show for our hot take review of Spyfall Part 2. I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And we're ready to crack into it. This is part two of a, a two-part story, so it's the big conclusion. It's basically picking up where we left off last week, so spoilers from the start. If you haven't seen Part 1 especially, <laughs> sorry, we're just going to assume you have, so yeah. we're, we're going to go into it. Yeah, uh, what are you Rob, doing listening to us? <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. Rob. Hello. How are you? I'm, I'm well, thanks, Dave. We, uh, we're in front of a microphone again. It, it, it is uh, a bit of deja vu, but uh, that's okay. It's that time of year. Spyfall Part 2. Mm. We're both pretty positive about Part 1. How are you feeling now? Okay, to give you my top level, Dave, I found this really enjoyable. Now, given that I only liked 50% of the last series, and the ones I didn't like were the ones Chibnall wrote, I'm as shocked by this revelation as anyone. Uh, because, you know, yes, Chibnall has now written another episode I'm genuinely okay with, and I'm no blind fanboy by any stretch of the imagination. That said, it's not without some issues, and spoilers, I won't be giving it 10 out of 10 at the end, but I think Doctor Who has remained on a high this episode, and, and I am happy sitting here, Dave. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're happy. How about you? Hmm. Oh. You know, it was the best of Chibnall. <laughs> it was the worst of Chibnall. <laughs> I, I have lots of things I love about this episode. I have a number of things I loathe about this episode. Let me let me say, it, I really do think it is it is so Chibnillian in in its entirety. It looked visually spectacular. It was great. Mm. It had incredible vision and ambition. The, the the scale of it was was wonderful and glorious, and I loved it. It did that Chibnall thing of educating the viewers, particularly the younger viewers. And I spoke last year about, or two years ago now, I guess, about how wonderful it is to think that children or young young adults watching Doctor Who now will go and look up Rosa Parks and look up the, the witch hunts in England and, yeah. and, and look up history the way that we used to look it up back when we were kids. And it, on this occasion, Chibnall's given them so many little morsels of history and so many wonderful figures, particularly strong women figures, to go and look up and learn more about. And I think that's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I'm waiting for the but. <laughs> the but is that some of the dialogue I thought was atrocious and there was a lot, a lot of standing around explaining the plot to each other. And that was a big negative for me, and I think is also very chibinal. So, look, I enjoyed this episode, but it did, to me, highlight the best and worst of Chibnall, but the best did outweigh the worst. Yeah, now, look, it's interesting you bring up the um, talking there, because my wife at the end of it said, gosh, they do a lot of talking in these episodes. And uh, I'll, I'll get to a bigger point of that, I guess, when we talk a bit more about Ada Lovelace and uh, Nor Iniat Khan as well later i've got a very big point to make there but just looking at the story broadly and i mean i've kicked off by saying i like this but i'll also give a negative here i think weirdly the story that underpinned this episode dave seemed to be the weakest part of it all because you know basically the cassivan were going to turn everyone into a storage device okay that's an interesting idea but the cassivan didn't really have much dialogue and their motivation seemed a bit lost with the Doctor and her new friends were running through time, the Master was doing his thing, Lenny Henry was doing his thing, the fam, if I can call them the fam, were doing their thing. It's like the thing that underpinned it all was the least interesting and possibly the weakest. And and that's kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I thought that as well. The story was interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that the idea of, hey everyone, 
have you noticed that like on social media you, you tell them private <laughs> things have, have you noticed that I, I was a bit sort of like really that's a we, we that's not very new and fresh but the idea of using humans as a, uh, a starter storage thing was a nice twist I, I kind of got the direction they were going in and then but but it wasn't a, I, I didn't totally get it so it was a good sort of well-paced revelation in that sense but yes I thought Lenny Henry's speech again another example of just minute long monologues explaining the plot to the audience but very well delivered but yeah I was a bit like oh god it's another lecture about privacy on the internet we get it we know we don't actually care Mm. and a a few things were a bit too convenient like the Cassavan took uh, the doctor back to Ada Lovelace's time and then the doctor was like oh well if I just wave my sonic it'll take us it'll take me back to where I need to go well well, why 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 do you make that assumption and then because Ada held a hand they ended up in World War II and it was like "Mm, this is all a bit convenient in places on the other hand I thought it did tie up the loose ends from part one very well it explained yes what had happened with the car it explained what happened to uh, C that was really good but uh, a couple of questions for you Rob I don't know if I literally just blinked and missed this stuff because Mm -hmm. this is a hot take and we we just have come straight from watching it. How did the Doctor and Ada survive the shooting up of the floor they were hiding in? I believe they were they were under the floor closer to Nor, so they shot up the floor. I guess in the middle of the room, say. Right. I think they were more under Nor's feet, under Nor's desk, that sort of area. Right. Okay. And what happened to Lenny Henry's character? <laughs> now that is a good question. I'm thinking back to earlier today when I watched it. Okay, he he did that awful thing to his mother. Yes. Uh, he, he did the big product launch speech. Yes, did the big product launch speech. Do you know... This is terrible. I can't tell you actually sitting here. Well, I watched it literally 17 minutes ago, and I don't know either. So whether it wasn't there or we both missed it, I don't know. We may have to revisit this in our next episode. Uh, somebody write us in. So, uh, yeah, that's a uh, interesting point. Um, oh, God. Maybe, maybe it's been deliberately left open. It's like maybe we're meant to be sitting here going, hey, what happened to Lenny Henry? I certainly... Lenny Henry's back. Yeah, I certainly remember the Cassavan grabbed the master and we're going to take him away, I guess, back to their planet or whatever you call that place. Yes, and we, we saw the master in the dimension cursing and, you know, curse you, Doctor, next time, next time in Gadget, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know what happened to Lenny Henry. So either we've both missed it, which is, uh, you know, on us, or maybe we are genuinely meant to be sitting here going, hashtag, where's Lenny Henry? And there's a payoff coming later in the season. God, that is wild. That is absolutely wild. <laughs> I've got all these notes in front of me too, and none of them mention him at the end. Okay, well, uh, we might have to revisit that one at the start of next episode because that is a genuine mystery. (laughs) Yeah, and we leave this in because this is a hot take. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Maybe we both blinked at the same time. Who knows? Possibly. Rob, (laughs) the fam, you mentioned them in your summary. What did you think of their little plot arc? I quite liked it. I think the escape from the plane at the start uh, was as bonkers as you'd expect it would need to be. It was kind of like something we'd see in Red Dwarf, perhaps, except played a bit more seriously. Like, oh, I've got to go back in time and remind myself to do this and then go back and remind myself to do that and remind myself to remind myself to do this. It was kind of one of those type things, like, because we even saw the Doctor at the end, like, oh, I've got to go back and, you know, 
laminate these things and make little signs for Ryan and all, all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and I, and you know, I went with it. I thought, okay, this is fine. This is kind of fun. I was okay with it. In the moment, I was absolutely okay with it. I totally got what was going on instantly. It's very McCoy. It's very New Adventures. It was bonkers. It was cool. It was fun. Uh, it does have that problem that Doctor Who has, though, of course, of having done that now, why can't you just do that all the time? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so look, let's, let's hope it's not a recurring thing. It was, it was fun to do it. Yeah. Uh, but, but, yeah, I, I think when you sort of look at it back in the cold light of day... Uh, you don't want to do it too often. And, and that's kind of how I feel about this episode. There was lots of fun, bonkers stuff. As I say, ambitious, s- scoping, intelligent. But you kind of look at it really, really critically and it does have problems. Yeah, look, b- before we get back to the fam, because i got points about all three of them, even these opening two parts, not just this episode, is kind of like the rise of Skywalker of, uh, of Doctor Who. Insofar as J.J. Abrams throws so much at you in Rise of Skywalker, it just keeps moving. It's almost like, just look at this, just look at this, now I'm doing this, now I'm doing that. Don't think about it too much. Here's another scene, here's another scene, here's something blowing up. And it's almost the same sort of storytelling in here. Oh, absolutely. I referred to a part one as Rise of the Master last week, and that was a very deliberate reference to Rise of Skywalker, because... It really does feel like, okay, fans, you say you want this. Well, God damn it, have this and have some more of it and have even more of it. Are you happy yet, fans? You're not happy yet? Have the master as well. Like, you know, it just feels like that. This is what the fans want. Fine, I'll give it to them. Mm. To get back to the fam, uh, Graham and his laser shoes delighted me. Now, having said that, Dave, if they continue after this episode, I'll absolutely spew, especially if they disappear from the show and then reappear conveniently in the finale or something like that. But for this episode, they were so silly, and he played it for laughs with his soft shoe shuffle and all of that. I was fine. It's another example of how I went on the journey with this story, and it was nuts, but I didn't get bent out of shape about it. Maybe liking the Graham character helped a lot in that regard. But, you know, something like that, which maybe normally might have even put me off, I was like, yeah, okay, that's kind of fun. I'm exactly the same. I'm the sort of person that that often would put off, and nine out of ten actors would have put me off. But that's the joy of Graham. He he is such a natural and comfortable actor Mm. that you go with those moments, and that's a real credit to him. It's a real credit to him. Yeah, agree. Uh, And Yaz and Ryan, I just made a brief note here that I felt they both melted into the background as much as each other in this episode. Uh, I felt that the audience was probably most interested in what the Doctor and her new companions were doing, uh, plus what the Master was doing, plus what the Cassivan were about. And Yaz and Ryan were kind of like, oh yeah, they're, they're there. Yeah, I thought the whole fam was kind of irrelevant to the story. There was almost a sort of sense of, how can we just keep them busy until we get them where they need to be for the confrontation? But, yeah, that's Doctor Who. That's fine. And it was a good kind of keeping them busy and, and all the rest of it. I enjoyed that. I liked Ryan in this, actually. Although he didn't get a lot to do, Ryan did get to show some moments of leadership and insight. And he's the one that realised, no, we've got to smash our phones. And then he's the one that forced Yaz to smash her phone when she didn't want to. And he had a few other moments as well where he made the leap of logical. He had the insight. And I thought that was really to his benefit. So he got some good plot points. Graham got some very good acting points. Look, Yaz was there. <laughs> yeah, we're back to Yaz being there again. <laughs> we really are, aren't we? It's kind of unfortunate. Even to the point of she's the one that 
has to like make the stupid decision to call her mum. Like I get that it's human, but oh, mm. did it have to be Yaz? I don't know. Yeah, um, we're back to that with Yaz. I'm sorry. <laughs> which just leaves the master and the doctor. Which one do you want to take on first, Dave? Uh, let's go the master. It was his story after all. I really enjoyed it. I think that Sasha Darwin once again gave a really good performance. And I think he did what a good master does well. He did very well, which is you get the moments of ice-cold clarity, but that sense that he's really just on the edge. Mm -hmm. And so you got those bursts of anger, those bursts of lack of control, then brought back. And that really, to me, said this is a guy who is just holding it all together. And under the surface, there's a lot going on. And mm. so you get the cool calculating moments followed by the, ah, and then he's back. <laughs> and I just really love the way he did it. It, it wasn't Delgado-ish. It wasn't Hayley-ish. It was, it was Darwin-ish and, and it worked. Yeah, I, I was happy with that. Um, I've had a look online and people are trying to figure out where this master comes in the master's timeline. And I'm noticing a surprising number really can't accept the concept that he's post-Missy. They really want Missy to be the end of the line. They want Sim to be actually killing Missy. And they want, you know, this character to be, who knows where in the timeline, just somewhere else. I've noticed that a lot as well. Uh, for, for me, it's kind of simple. We, we encounter the Master in order. And I, it, to me, it wasn't controversial that this was coming on. Um that said, as you know, I've never been a particular fan as Missy. Um, Michelle Gomez did win me over in World Enough and Time right at the end. But I've never been a particular fan. I, I never, as you would have known from my hot take comments a couple of years ago, Rob, I never bought into the whole Missy Master Redemption mm. thing. That, that never really landed with me. So I'm not invested in that, which is perhaps why I can look past it and just go, this is just the next thing. But it obviously means a lot to a lot of people. And other than... Noting that, I don't really have anything more to say. Yeah, it's interesting how much they're getting into it. Even fans who I who I think normally would just you know cruise along and be like a bit ah whatever with most plot points, but this is one they're really stuck on. Whereas for me, like you, yeah, the master always comes back. That's the nature of the master. And even if you see him killed on screen, you see Davo burn him to death in Planet of Fire, but he comes back. And he comes back because he's the villain, he's the master. And it's kind of fun to think about how he might have got out of something. I'd much rather think about how Missy got out of that situation of lying there. Did she even have blood coming out of her back, like pooling on the ground? Or oh, I don't know about that. Or was it leaves falling down or something? She was really in a bad way. No, but wasn't, wasn't she blasted and it was John Sim who was... She stabbed Sim and he blasted her? That's right. Sim got stabbed, she got blasted, and she was yeah. sort of lying there having a little chuckle and, and clearly dying on a ship that's about to be overrun with Cybermen. I'd rather think about how she gets out of that than just say, oh no, she died there, she died there, Sasha's before her, you know... I find that really sort of weird and not interesting. Yeah, look, I, I get that if you're invested and really emotionally invested in the Missy arc, that this would be a disappointment for you. Um, kind of like if you're really invested in Darth Vader's arc, having mm. his um, killing the Emperor being undone would be disappointing to you. And just to tie it all back to Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> so I, I, get, I get it, but I actually, it's not something that worries me. Yeah, something else in relation to the Master, and it does tie back into what we were talking about earlier in terms of this episode, tying up loose ends and also answering questions. I mean, he's in the SS uniform, Dave, and yeah. I thought, 
how is he doing this? These these are like the, the uber fascists of the fascists. You, why would they be accepting of a person of colour leading them? And then the episode answered it almost straight away. And I thought, thank you. You answered it with a line, which is something we often talk about on the show. Yeah, no, that stuff was very well done. So, yeah, I was very happy with the master. The Doctor. The Doctor. I felt there was even more steel in her this week. I felt that this Doctor's really stepping things up. She feels different to last year to me and her disbelief and anger at Gallifrey which I guess we'll get to in a minute uh being destroyed uh seemed spot on to me I'm I'm really good with Whittaker this series I was very impressed with Whittaker this episode a lot more than I was last week and I'm very really to be able to say that yeah absolutely I thought that Jodie was given some real moments to do some in inverted commas proper acting her dialogue with the master at the top of the Eiffel Tower was really well done. As you said, her reaction to seeing Gallifrey and the way she played the character from then on, um, even when she was being a bit manic at, at one point, it was kind of like a forced manicness, like someone putting on a front. And I thought that was really cleverly done. So, yeah, very good performance from Jodie this episode. Possibly her best yet. Yeah, yeah. Look, I I enjoyed her last episode as well, but I, I'm glad you you're on board with this one because I think she was good. Next big talking point, I guess, is Gallifrey. Yeah, it's the elephant in the room, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I'm excited by this on a really basic level. Like the master has destroyed Gallifrey. Holy fucking shit! You know that's massive. <laughs> At the same time, however, I've always felt that Gallifrey time lord history is best you know left alone and we don't go too deep into it so unless there's some wacky twist coming up chibnall might be really pushing things in a direction i don't want him to when we get there i don't know though so i saw a tweet about this a little bit earlier and i honestly can't remember who it was from so i apologize if it was you uh but it compared this to the um, J.J. Ryan, J.J. aspects of the latest Star Wars trilogy in that RTD has said, right, we're not having Gallifrey. It's destroyed. It's gone. Moffat then says, hey, now we've sort of done that. Let's play with this idea of Gallifrey coming back. And then you get to the next show and it's like, actually, no, Gallifrey's gone again. Mm. And it kind of, it's interesting because I know for a lot of fans, the caretakers or Tom Baker's speech at the end of Day of the Doctor was very profound. And that's meant to be setting up this whole thing of the Doctor's got to go on a quest and find Gallifrey. And how does that all work if it's like, you will find Gallifrey, and then the Master destroys it, that's the end. But in, <laughs> but in between that, we had Capaldi go there and just be rude to Rassilon, and um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it was all, it was all a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was all a bit weird. Um, I'm not quite sure what's being set up. I, I think I'm with you on reflection, Rob. It's going to depend on what the payoff is. Yeah, look, my biggest fear here, Dave, is that this timeless child thing is is a Chibnall invention, and it better be pretty bloody amazing if it's going to change the way we think of Gallifrey and the Time Lords, because I think of stuff like the hybrid that Moffat tried to pull off. And I was that, going to say exactly that. Well, yeah, and that was just silly, and that was from a really masterful writer, so I fear that, you know, with a writer with a slightly patchier track record like Chibnall, you know, if he's going to try and do something that profoundly changes Gallifrey, I mean, the hybrid was just changing what we knew of the Doctor. This is changing Gallifrey and Time Lord society and all this sort of stuff. Jesus, I hope he's got a good idea in mind. It's like a number of people have said over the years, 
there was always the risk that you should never show the time war because nothing you can do on television is ever going to do the concept of the time war justice. Yeah. And indeed, when, when Moffat did show us the time war in Day of the Doctor, it was just lots of ships shooting at the planet. It just wasn't anything particularly special or out there. And I think you're right, Chibnall does run the risk of building up this mythic Gallifreyan legend, and it's like, really, it's that? Yeah. But maybe he's, maybe he's, maybe it's going to be big. Um, I think you're right. The, the, what matters is the payoff. Yeah, I mean, the Radio Times is already speculating, and, and pinch of salt, everyone, it's the Radio Times. They rarely write about any of this uh, stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're pondering, is the timeless child the true founder of Gallifrey? And then the Time Lords came along and stole the planet and the tech from the timeless child. And and in that way, everything the Doctor and the Master being told was a lie, you know, that, oh, you know, Rassilon and, and Omega did it. Well, no, they actually stole it from the timeless child. You know, that that's possibly what the story could be. And, and yeah, if it cause, was... because there's nothing like a good copyright infringement to really, <laughs> really build up the drama. <laughs> And, you know, I mean, that's that's an all right sort of story, but I think I'd rather just leave it be. I, I, oh, I'm not sure about this at all, unless it's a big fake out somehow. Yeah, but if it does mean that we're getting the Master back for the series finale, I'm yep. okay with that. Yeah. Well, look, at the end of that episode, the, um, the aliens took him away and you would presume we're going to kill him or do something to him, but he's going to come back. And that's an example to all those people out there. You know, the master does come back, even when he's in the worst possible spot, even when he's ashes in a little jar on the doctor's dressing room drawer, you know, in the uh, TV movie. He still comes back. (laughs) Yeah, I I think we're going to see more of him very possibly this year. Yeah, I think so too. A couple of quick minor points I just want to make say because I forgot to say them last week. Yes. Uh, I'm still loving the opening credits and and the opening theme. Great. And I'm still hating the console room. Hating the console room. Did you like it better towards the end when the lighting went all blue and even the uh, the spidery leg parts were blue as well and Jody's face was blue and everything went blue and cold? I, I didn't mind that. I liked that shot, but no, I still hate the console room. Okay. Um, and another quick point, I think there was a Tales of the Riverbank reference in there at one point. Oh, okay. Very good. When Hemi the Hamster was put into the diving bell. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's right. That was a very cute little moment. But I want to talk, this, and this is the last big point I have, Robin, and I think you've got one more big point, or you hinted you did earlier. Mm-hmm. I do need to flesh out this comment I made at the start about the weakness of the episode, being that dialogue and that exposition. Lenny Henry had a line, for example, that was along the lines of, my plane is landing at the destination it was meant to land at. And I thought, no one speaks like that. Like you'd say, <laughs> my plane has landed in Essex. Yeah. Like it was just it was just so <laughs> convoluted. But But again, you had... This moment, this long scene where the Doctor and the Master explain their plans to each other. Mm. You have another long scene where the Doctor explains what's going on to the other characters. You have the long exposition thing where Lenny Henry explains what his plan is to everybody. Just everything was explained. And this is the thing that Chibnall did last year as well. It wasn't so bad this time because, as I said, the scope and the action and the adventure and the acting carried us through... But I, I did really struggle with this this written exposition. So look, it is my big weakness of the episode, and uh, well, that's that's what I have to say. Yeah, and look, it dovetails with my last point before we get to the sports desk. And I just want to ask: Was it over egging things to have Lovelace and Khan 
in the same episode together. I get that they went to two time periods and that's cool. And I get that Chibnall wants to highlight amazing women in history. You know, I got that. No problem with that. You know, and I don't want people to take away that I'm not wanting amazing women in the episode. But I just think that once we got the Doctor working one-on-one with a surrogate companion in the form of Lovelace, Chibnall almost immediately threw in Khan and, you know, suddenly we had two companions again. And it was like, no, you know, is this just so we can have more dialogue going on? I'd I'd really like there to be less. And again, my wife made that comment about, you know, they just do a lot of talking here, don't they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, effectively, the Doctor had five companions this episode. Yeah. And, and that was too much. Uh, which ones you lose, it's hard to say. But, yeah, I... I Yeah, I get your point. Yeah. Shall we go to the sports desk? Off we go. Okay, so here we are at the sports desk day. We've cleaned it up a bit. It's not as dusty as last week. Uh, And this, of course, is where we talk about the play of the week, the foul of the week, and the MVP of the week. So let's kick off with the play of the week, Dave. What was your play of the week? Uh, My play of the week was the scene at the top of the Eiffel Tower with the Doctor and the Master. And I'm giving it the play of the week because of the way that those two actors, Jodie and Sasha, played off each other. I thought that was wonderful. That was interesting. There was a nice little reference to Legopolis. And <laughs> and I thought you have Sasha doing such a great job as the master. Jodie probably putting in the best performance I've seen from her yet. And so for me, that was my play of the week. I was going to say, I thought you'd like that Jodrell Bank line. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my play of the week, Dave, is bringing Gallifrey back into the mix because it's very unexpected. That just hit me out of absolutely nowhere. And I think, despite reservations, I think it's got to be my play of the week. Excellent. Uh, so, what's your foul of the week? Dave, my foul of the week is bringing Gallifrey back into the mix. <laughs> <laughs> So this is the first time I've given a play and a foul to the same thing. I am really, really scared at what could possibly happen here. There are, you know, ways this could come out okay. There are ways this could go horribly, horribly wrong and really, really piss me off. And if it pisses me off, there's a million fans out there more hardcore than me who are really, really going to go crazy. God, I don't know. Your foul of the week, Dave. Rob, I thought I'd done something really clever here and you've just gazumped me. Uh oh. <laughs> because I'm giving my foul of the week to the same scene I gave my play of the week to. <laughs> no way! Absolutely. I can't believe we've both just done that. Uh, I'm giving my foul of the week also to the scene at the top of the Eiffel Tower. Because as good as the acting was, it was minutes of very cumbersome exposition, and that annoyed me in the episode. So, as I said, annoyingly cumbersome exposition saved by very good actors. Good God, people think we script this stuff, I swear. (laughs) That's really, really bizarre. (laughs) Rob, your player of the week. My player of the week, Dave. He was almost player of the week last week. It's got to be Sasha Dewan. The master didn't go full spinny and clappy in this episode, and mostly he was just really, really angry and shouty, and I thought, this is a new take. Like you said, he's not Delgado, he's not Ainley, he's not Sim, he's not Gomez, he's his own master. I was really happy with him. Um... Fantastic. Bring him back. I like him. I like him a lot. And just to continue the theme of you won't believe we don't script this stuff, (laughs) 
last time I gave it to Sasha, you gave it to Jody. This time you're giving it to Sasha, and I'm going to give it to Jody because I've wow. seen it a couple of times now. I think it's the best performance I've seen from her, and so for that, she deserves my Player of the Week. Amazing. <laughs> this is a freaky episode, Dave. This is really, really weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but a short episode's a good episode, so let's wrap up. Dave, throughout this episode, I kept thinking, is this strong enough again for another eight? And there was plenty in there that I quite liked, and I thought, oh, could it even be a nine in places? But I kept pulling back from the edge and thinking, no, it's it's making these little mistakes here and there. It's not a classic episode, so I'm going to plump again for eight out of ten, like I gave the previous episode. You know, it's good, but not without flaws. It dragged a bit here and there, and I can see how people can nitpick at it. I've nitpicked at it here myself. But I'm really surprised at the same time that a lot of people didn't like it outright. I think there's a lot here to like, more to like than not like, surely. Yeah, I think that's a very reasonable summary. I'm going to give the episode a seven, mm-hmm. and that's because it has all the strengths that last time had, but it does have some extra weaknesses. So if last week was an eight, this week has to be slightly lower, so I'm giving it a seven. Not a, not a stinker at all, a good, solid, fun episode, slightly more flawed than last time, but I guess wrapping things up were a little bit harder. We'll see where we go from here. I think Chibnall is heading in a better direction than last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that his faults are not banished. So we'll see what happens. Uh, next week we have we've got a very Capaldi-looking episode, actually. Yeah, it looked almost like Smile at first glance. I had exactly the same thought. Really? Yeah. And the, and the name of the place, I thought for a moment they're going to Tranquil Repose. But is it Tranquil something else? I, I <laughs> Tranquility Gym or something Tranquility, like that. There we go. <laughs> something like that. Quick one before we go, Dave. Sometime co-host Mike Solko tweeted me this one-liner, and I'll finish with this, uh, about both these opening episodes of the series. Both episodes feel like a lot of ideas not given time enough to breathe, offset with not much going on overall. Yeah, I could understand that. I could understand mm. that a lot. Mm. Anyway, on that bombshell... <laughs> um, We'll be back in a week's time with more Doctor Who. Absolutely. And as always, we look forward to reading your various comments around the uh, Who universe. Yeah, and we'll get to those on the monthly episode at the end of January. Absolutely. So uh, let's hope for a um, a good one with our, uh, our friend next week. Oh, friend. Friend. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Rob. I've been Dave. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Don't forget the thumbs up. Oh, friend. Oh, new friend. Friend. Oh, friend. Please be my friend. Oh, friend. Oh, friend. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash The DW Show is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.